again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television, Channel 18. I'm Charlie Walters. My guest today is Julie Gerstenblatt. She just published her first novel. It's called Daughters of Nantucket, and she's here to talk about that and more. Welcome to Profiles. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, without giving too much away, tell us in brief what your book is about. Sure. So Daughters of Nantucket is about three women whose lives intersect in the days leading up to Nantucket's Great Fire of 1846. And who is in the book? So I have some, I have made up two of the three main characters. Uh, one is Eliza Macy. She's a whaling wife. Um, one is Meg Wright. She is a shop owner and um, fighting for integration of the schools. And the third is our very own Mariah Mitchell, who is beloved on Nantucket and is a true historical figure. So you've written a historical novel. Mm -hmm. um, why did you decide to do that rather than write a biography? Mm. So biography never really interested me. I come from a place of novel writing, and I had written several contemporary novels before this. So I wrote something, um, a woman in her 30s who, in suburban New York, a woman in her 40s who. So I knew that my interest was going to be in writing a novel, not a historical one, until I came across The Great Fire and a mention of it in Nat Philbrick's History of the Island, A Way Offshore, and I was hooked. I was like, Nat, give me more. There's only two paragraphs, and then he's moving on and wailing and oil and candles and all the rest, and um, the fire is what hooked me and made me want to write a historical novel. From a writer's point of view, as opposed to a reader's point of view, how is it different to write a historical novel as opposed to a non-historical novel? So research would be the answer. Um, I have a doctorate in education. I spent 10 years writing that. I did a ton of research. And because of that, I did feel equipped and kind of excited in the way that I had in a scholarly sense to dig into history. Um, and read as much as I could about the time period, the people. I read about Quakers, abolitionists, suffragists, whaling, all the rest of it. And then ultimately, that's when the rest kind of goes with what people who write contemporary novels do, which is make the rest of it up. But the background and sort of the facts of, that it's hanging on are this historical context. Now, of the people and the events you've just mentioned in the last couple of minutes, uh, Mariah Mitchell, the Great Fire of 1846 and so on, mm -hmm. did one person or event leap out at you or was it just the entire period mm -hmm. in this town? It was the fire. And I had never thought of myself as someone who was drawn to writing action adventure stories, disaster stories. But when I thought about what I like as a reader or as a viewer, it is disaster flicks like Titanic, the perfect storm in, you know, all of those things um, in the heart of the sea and all of that. So I watched a bunch of films that had an action adventure plot to help me in addition to reading novels like there's a great book called The Children's Blizzard that's about a blizzard that um, kind of came across the plains 
and dumped snow on a beautiful warm day and trapped children throughout the prairies of the Midwest. And I don't remember exactly where, but it's got that same kind of drama that I was aiming for in this novel. So um, it started with the fire. And then I thought, well, we don't really care about a disaster unless we care about the people who are in it. And so the, the beating heart of it has to be people that you're invested in following. So I created those three characters so we could follow each of them and get a sense of the movement of their lives and their kind of personal dramas hit just as the fire hits the town. Again, without giving too much away, I'd like to have you talk about some of the things that may be true, maybe myths, and maybe we don't know mm -hmm. that are involved with the fire. Mm -hmm. The downtown area of Nantucket as it stands now mm -hmm. is all brick. Mm -hmm. I've always heard that's a direct result of the mm -hmm. 1846 fire, which was not the first fire. But I guess after the earlier fires, they just rebuilt with wood? Yeah, and they didn't lose as much. Um, so they just kind of were patching things up and rebuilding those few buildings. Um, and it wasn't until this fire that really, again, without giving too much away, decimated the town, that they had to rethink what they were doing. And like the buildings that did survive, if you think about Main Street, it was the Pacific Bank mm -hmm. made of brick. Yeah. You take, you know, you go all the way down to um, the Jared Coffin House made of brick, mm -hmm. the church next to it not so lucky, you know. So the brick building survived and they thought, you know, let's do this smarter. This time they also widened Main Street. So Main Street is super wide um, and it's, it's really like fun that way, but it wasn't always like that. How much do we know about what buildings survived the fire? I think we know a, a good deal. Um, there is a map of the burnt district that was made by Jenks right after, and it tells you everything that was lost. I mean, maybe not every person's home, but all of the main, uh -huh. the banks and the mansion house and, you know, all the rest. Um, and then if you walk down Union Street and you see a plaque on a house from 1811, you know it survived the fire of yeah. 1846. Um, what about the what's now the Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. So in terms of myth, as yeah. you mentioned, there is this great myth that Mariah Mitchell saved the Methodist Church from being blown up, um, which was a method of taking gunpowder and you know, raising something to create a fire break mm -hmm. so that the fire wouldn't spread. Um, somebody was just saying that they kind of do that now with like a line of trees in a huge forest fire to you know, create a, a zone where the fire won't spread. So the myth is that she, you know, stopped the firemen from, you know, I just can picture her in Main Street going, don't blow up the church. And I didn't want to do that. So I played with what I could do with her that felt possibly lending itself to that myth, but not giving myself over to, um, you know, to make it my own. Are you saying you can't either prove they, or disprove yeah, it? It's they cannot. Just, they cannot. That, not they. I don't know who the they are. But the yeah. people that, the historical accounts that I read, nobody is definitive about it. So the, some people mention it and yes, others don't? Yes. Yes. 
Do you know when the earliest mention was? I, I know that's getting into the weeds a bit. I don't know. I think the earliest mention of it has to do with those uh, Coast Guard survey. Um, there were men who were off, the, you know, sitting in naval ships. They came, um, they were doing a survey of the water and um, the, the treacherous coast. They came on land and helped during the fire. And there was apparently an interview with one of them in a newspaper a year maybe later who mentioned you know, having met Mariah and, you know, saving the church. This may be a George Washington cutting down the cherry tree Very sort much. of a thing. But, you know, it is, it is interesting, and for those people who don't know downtown Nantucket that well, the Methodist Church is right next to the Pacific Bank. Mm -hmm. And the Pacific Bank, I believe, is where she used to have her telescope. Yeah, yeah, that's where she lived. Her father was um, worked in the bank, and as part of the the perks of that job, um, they got the to live in behind it. You can find the entrance there, and on the second floor, and then up on the roof, they had an observatory. So yes, she was you know she was right there, mm -hmm. um, and cared greatly about the whole town, but in particular, those structures. Yeah. But now the Mariah Mitchell house is up on Vessel Street. Yes. So how does that fit okay. into her, her picture? They moved when she was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, mm -hmm. when her father got the job at the bank. Um, so Vestal Street is still, and that was like, um, I think it was even called like Jail Street originally or some kind oh. of, and that was um, their homestead originally, and so that's where the Mariah Mitchell Association yep. is still housed. Mm -hmm. But she, from teenage years on, did not live in that house, nor did the Mitchell family. Let me make sure I've got this straight. She lived on Vestal Street, Jail Street, mm -hmm. before or after she was living in the... Before, until she before. was... Yeah, okay. until she okay. was about 12 or 13, because I know of a story when she first got interested in astronomy, and she was on Vestal Street with her dad, and she snuck out to go observe with him one night. It was very cold, and there's a whole story, a romance about her first seeing the stars, and that was at Vestal. But then they moved. Okay. And they, yeah, stayed there. Sticking with the theme of Mariah Mitchell and fires, mm -hmm. uh, there's a story about Mariah Mitchell and or her family Destroying documents. Yes, um, that's a talk, that's a talk spoiler. About that <laughs> that well, is a spoiler. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a spoiler in my book. It's not a spoiler if you know the history. But the question is, like, if you know what the night of the fire, people saw everybody's um, you know papers and documents flying through the air, yeah. um, and and then the question becomes, what's safe, and what if there were another fire? and my house was destroyed, would papers not just burn up, but fly on the wind into somebody else's hand yeah. and somebody else's backyard? And what could they find out about me if mm -hmm. I kept letters or notes or a journal? So I hope that answers your question. Uh, sort it of. does, it does. And it, it's interesting to contrast that with what if it happened today? Mm -hmm. Well, it's all on our computers. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be worrying so much about paper flying through the air. It would be is my hard drive going to survive, and <laughs> right. am I going to find it afterwards? And, right, and right. So Did on. I save everything to the cloud? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, although I will say I, I, I'm a diarist, and I kept journals from the time I was six or seven, so I would hate to lose those. Sticking with the fire, um, 
unknown witnesses. Again, I don't want you to be giving mm -hmm. too much away, but um, can you talk about that at all? Sure. I mean, there's certain facts that when I discovered them, I was like, I want to use this. This is an interesting thing. Who am I going to give this to? Um, and so one thing was, we know that the fire broke out at 11 p.m. on Main Street. I won't tell you where or how. Um, and that two people were first on the scene, but they were lost to us in history as to who they are. So I was like, well, one of them is going to be one of my main mm -hmm. characters. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what is she doing out on a Monday night at 11 o'clock on yeah. Main Street? Yeah. And so I, I played with that. Was there a curfew, a 9 o'clock curfew in those days? I mean, possibly. I yeah. remember reading about a curfew, yeah. but um, I don't know. But, you know, I can't. Because um, I'm just thinking Then she would have definitely been breaking rules, more rules. Well, I mean, it, it, at some point in the past, I mean, even if you were an adult male, you weren't supposed to be out at mm -hmm. nine o'clock at night. Right. Um, so, well, as a fiction writer, it that, didn't, that, that gives that you a lot matter. to play with. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's wonderful. Um, let me change track here. Uh, how long have you been coming to Nantucket? Mm, since the summer of 1978, when I was eight years old. And how did your family happen to come here? Well, my family, my part of the family is from New York, but my aunt moved to Wellesley, which is a suburb of Boston, which is Massachusetts, mm -hmm. which is much closer to Nantucket. And she had neighbors who were summering here, and she heard about it from them and called my mom and said, what do you think? Why don't we all go and try it out? And we rented a big house on Pulpus Road for two weeks with my grandparents and like the Airedale and the Jeep and everybody went on the ferry and it was amazing. And from there, it really, Nantucket has imprinted on me from then and, um, and I've always loved it. It imprints on a lot of people. You know, I, I started off like you as a summer person mm -hmm. and uh, moved here year round and that was 52 years ago. So. Right. I was, <laughs> Once you get it in your system, you can't really get it out. Yeah, I've tried. I walked into the middle school one August and said, do you have any jobs available? They're like, mm -hmm. next week, you know, here? Mm -hmm. um, and they said, no, but why don't you, you know, take an application for next year or if you want to sub, you know, start as a substitute teacher. And I had a tenured job teaching middle school in New York and but I just wanted to be here. I never did that. I never bought this. I never did that. Um, I almost got married here. So I've had a lot of almosts, um, mm -hmm. but my husband and I have, and we really have always wanted to, it's kind of a you know dream for us to maybe move here at some point. Now you've also written essays. Mm -hmm. Talk about those. So I love writing essays and I started when my kids were little, and I would just notice a little something about them, and you know, that's maybe like an Irma Bombeck sort of thing where you're compelled to write about home and family and um, your husband and children in a humorous way. So I got a column in my local newspaper, and twice a month I would write a, about 800 words or so on something, birthday parties or my, my mother-in-law or just local little funny slice of life things. And I think having that deadline and always having to do it 
kept me writing, and it's like a muscle that I would work out regularly. So even when I was teaching, I was doing that. If I couldn't write a novel, I could keep, you know, kind of just keep writing through the column. Now that you're writing novels, mm-hmm. talk about your writing habits. Sure. So I am, I'm good, I gotta say. I'm good. I write every day for three to four hours. You, I, you say every day, seven days a week you no, do this? No, five days, like a, okay. like a regular job, five days. And I give myself about a thousand words, you know, usually a thousand word count. If I have some sort of deadline or self, you know, proclaimed goal, I'll up it. Um, and I, because I was a teacher, I actually keep a little um, calendar from CVS, like pocket calendar. And I give myself a check, check plus or check minus every day. And I write the exact word count. So if it's 556 words, check minus, you know, 1202, check plus. But by the end of the month, you see that add up. It's maybe like the way somebody who's trying to exercise and, you know, do reps of something, you know, will see that, you know, really on a chart. And um, that's how I, and then I say like 100 pages by this date, 200 pages by that date. So I don't get out of the chair until I hit that unless I have another appointment or, you know, I'm a failure for the day at 500 words. So you gauge your day not by how many hours you're at a keyboard, mm-hmm. but by how much you've accomplished. Right. And I do, it does tend to take that three to four hours. So I set that aside if I can, depending on whatever else is happening and, you know, scheduling with kids and doctors and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, it takes me a while to I get in the chair, it's like, check your emails, read over the work from the day before, get your mind in it. The author, Danny Shapiro, talks about, basically it's kind of like scuba, which I'm never gonna be a scuba diver, but she talks about it like, first you put on your gear and then you go down and you acclimate at this level, and then you acclimate at this level, and then you're really down there with the fish and you can explore and you're in this other world. And it takes some time. And then you same with like coming up. You can't kind of like get to the surface of your real life too quickly because, you know, um, you need to acclimate. So my kids would get off the bus sometimes and I'm still scuba diving <laughs> in my world. And I'd be like, you know, taking off the mask metaphorically at the door and being like, hello, children, <laughs> how are you? Still sort of lost in the, in the world of my book. So I'm assuming, based on what you just said, that most or all of your writing takes place when the children are not at home. Yeah. So the children now are 21 and 17. But when um, you know when I began when I stopped teaching full time and started writing and using that day and feeling like if I'm giving up a career, I'm trying to gain another one and taking it as seriously as that. So like send them off on the bus, get to work, mm-hmm. and get them back um, and use my day for my work. Now that they're grown up, not completely, but now that they're older, mm-hmm. um, do you, have you changed the time of day you might be writing? Not yet. My daughter's a high school senior, so she goes off to college in the fall, and we'll see. But I, I'm not going to suddenly become a night owl. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like morning is the freshest time for me. It's oh. like I have my coffee. I need a little Today Show. I catch up on the news. 
And then that, you know, but what I will gain is that after three o'clock, four o'clock time, if I want to go back and work on something, I can, but I don't see myself starting my day late. Do you find yourself making notes at 9.30 at night about what you want to put in the next morning? Sometimes. I do keep a journal next to my bed um, and jot little notes. But I mostly try to leave something unfinished at the end of my work day so that I'm excited to come the next day and I do have a plan or a thought. So a scene might be almost wrapped up, but I want to work on like this bit of dialogue. So um, I'm never kind of coming to the computer and feeling overwhelmed like, well, you know, that sense of writer's block. I try to avoid that. But sometimes you get it. I mean, not really. When I'm writing a, this novel, I didn't because I knew so much from the fire. But I could get stuck in a scene. I could be like, I don't know what they're saying to each other. I don't know how to advance this scene. So walk the dog, mm -hmm. get an idea. That's what I would do. So I don't see that. It wasn't like days and days of me not being able to write. Mm -hmm. And so if I get stuck somewhere, I'll go work on another piece of it and come back to that. When you're not writing, what are you doing? I am doing yoga two to three mornings a week. So that's the only time when I'm not writing first. I go to yoga at nine in the morning. Um, I also do that at home. My, my office is multi-purpose. I roll up the rug, roll out my yoga mat, and practice there. Um, and I coach kids in college essay writing. And that comes from my love of essays and feeling like I know how to tell something, like a little snippet about my life in you know that 800 words for college essays. It's 650. But helping kids tell their, like a little bit about themselves in a compelling, interesting way. So that's about six months of the year I'm working with kids on college essays. Another thing you're involved in, which it's not writing, but it's related to writing very closely, is mm -hmm. A Mighty Blaze. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Sure. So when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, I was in a writing class with um, several people who had not been published at the time, including me, and several who were authors who had been published, and they were seeing their friends' book tours get canceled. So Jenna Blum, who is my writing teacher, got on you know, her phone and texted us all and said, I have this idea with my friend Caroline Levitt, who's another published author. We want to interview our author friends online and give them a platform because the book tours are canceled. Who wants to create a logo? Who wants to produce? Who knows anything about X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. And that's how A Mighty Blaze came to be. And the ideas um, let many you know, candles in the dark create A Mighty Blaze. And there are a lot of writers involved in yeah. this. I, I went to the, I don't know whether it's the Facebook page or yeah, the website, website. Or, or maybe both, mm -hmm. but um, how many writers are involved? Um, there are probably like 20 of us um, who are, you know, staff, regular staff. And then um, we've interviewed for three years. We've been doing, you know, up to 10 interviews a week. So we've interviewed hundreds wow, of authors. Wow, that's a lot of people. Yes. And so I, as producer for like one or two shows a week, and everybody had their own favorites, um, 
Hank Phillippe Ryan, who writes um, thrillers and mysteries, does yes. a mystery show, and mm -hmm. she's a she's a journalist, a TV journalist too. Yes. So um, she does Crime Time on Wednesdays, and then we have the thoughtful bro. He's Mark Cecil. He has a novel coming out next year, and he interviews. Um, you know, kind of with this scope towards, it's a combination of current uh, contemporary literature and just things that he's interested in, some nonfiction as well. Um, the Zeitgeist was a show about books that hit a certain contemporary nerve. Um, and I do um, Lit Chick, which is a play on chick lit, which was a term that's out of favor for women's contemporary literature. So that would be Fridays at 12. And it's in season because there is a lit chick season, which is summer, like spring and summer through the fall. Uh, if you want to see those, mm -hmm. I assume they're all, are they all at the website? Yeah, they're all on YouTube and um, not on our website, but there are links to find them. Um, they're all cataloged on YouTube. As long as we're talking a website, mm -hmm. you have a website. Tell mm -hmm. us what we can find there. Sure. So it's juliegerstenblatt.com. And I love my new website. It's, um, it has a video of me giving a little tour. My son goes to film school. And last summer, I was like, one day of the vacation, you have to come and mar march around town with me, get some footage, and put together a, a movie. And he's like, we're going to make it 90 seconds. We're going to just give people this short tour. And it's me in front of places where I imagine my characters live or work combined with mm -hmm. real historical sites and also personal sites like where I used to go, you know, to get ice cream with my grandpa and stuff like that. So it also has a book group guide. So if you're in a book group and want to talk about my book, HarperCollins made a really nice like kit of questions and um, like kind of Q&A with me. And um, what else is there? Some essays of mine are there as well. So. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your next project, if, if I can get you to talk about it? Sure. Um, so, and I just thought of one, else, one other thing from my website. Mm -hmm. I've been combing through like old photos of me and my family from Nantucket. So there's a whole collage of photos that go back to that first summer of 1978 of me on the beach. Um, what is next? I plan two more books in this Daughters of Nantucket series. Mm -hmm. And series, I mean, they're related to each other, but they stand alone. So you could pick one up out of order. It doesn't matter. And there's a term called kill your darlings. Do you know that for like a writer term? Uh, from, I, maybe from Nancy? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Um, killing your darlings is, I think, a Hemingway term for when you get rid of something you really love in your novel and you're kind of like, you don't want to, you know, let it go. So for me, it was a character named Nell Starbuck, who um, was one of Eliza's best friends. But Eliza was then having too many people counsel her and too many friends. So now we have Mariah as her friend and we have Alice sort of as a, another advisor or friend. And Nell is, there's a sentence in the book that says, Nell is on a merchant ship with her husband, Peter Starbuck, and they're traversing the globe for, you know, finding treasures and shopping. That will be the second book. Mm -hmm. um, and what I like about it also is that um, Joseph Allen, who has a, is a small, small but mighty character in the first book, is all grown up, and he is in the second book. And you will, it starts five years after this ends, 
and some people have said there are some questions. I leave the ending a little open at the end of the first book. You'll get some answers at the beginning of the second book. And then the third one will be, the third book in the series, will be about two sisters from Nantucket who go on a European tour before marriage. Well, that sounds quite different from the first two, based on what little you've said. Well, the second one will also really take place off of Nantucket. You know, it's going to go to um, San Francisco at the height of the gold rush, um, by clipper ship, and then on to China. So it's really spending a little bit of time where this first book is all set on Nantucket. The second one, a little bit. Third one, a little bit. Keeping in mind that as, as we're taping this, only one of these books has come out. Yeah. Um, will you be able to read the second book without having read the first one? Absolutely. I mean, hopefully they're going to read all three of them yes. in order. Yeah. But, um, but you see what yeah. I'm getting at. Oh, yeah. If somebody gonna, jumps in yes, you know, it, midstream. It will come out in three years, maybe. I haven't, I've written three pages, so I'm not you know, going to give you a timeline. But when it comes out, if somebody sees it in an airport and is interested in the story of you know, um, the China trade and global travel at, in the 1851, they can read it as a standalone, absolutely. Now, your fir- first book came out, is it this month? It came out in March. Okay, we're, we're taping this in, in April of 2023, so March of 2023 is yes. when the first one came out. Yes. Uh, when is the second one going to come out, or is that too I soon? I have a, no idea. Yeah, it's too mm-hmm. soon. I'm going to start writing. You know, I've done research, um, but in the fall, I'll really sit down and write. I hope to write it in a year, you know, a mm-hmm. good, solid first draft. Um, and this time it'll be quicker because I won't have to find an agent and I have, you know, things in place um, with the publisher who published this. If she, if they want to publish it, they have the right of first seeing it. So mm-hmm. um, it should move along more quickly, but I'm not under contract to write a book a year. And as I said to my, I asked my agent, I was like, should we be, should we be working on this? Should we be pitching my second novel? And she's like, it's fine. Enjoy this. Mm-hmm. I'm a debut author at 52 years old, and never too late, as I never said earlier. Too late, but why not also just enjoy that moment? So I have 20 friends coming today to help me celebrate this weekend on Nantucket. But this is Daffodil Weekend as we're taping this, and this will come out afterwards. But you will have done a book signing at Mitchell's, but then you'll be back in June for the Nantucket Book Festival, yes, uh, which will go on after this, this program gets, uh, gets premiered. So right. uh, if you're seeing this before late June, go to the Nantucket Book Festival and see Julie. Yeah, June 15th to 18th. And there's a tent with some, that where we're signing. And um, also, I'll be back uh, the last week of July. So, and all of that's on my website. And I'm all over if you're, you know, in on the mainland too. I have plenty of dates of uh, on the Cape and elsewhere. Post it on your website. Yep. Okay. Julie, thank you for doing this. I've enjoyed this. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Kind so of take great. the time to, to come into the studio on a bright sunny day where it was bright earlier. I mean, yes. after you. <laughs> Hope it stays that way. Thanks again for doing it. Thank you. For Channel 18, Nantucket Community Television, this is Charlie Walters on Profiles. Thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again.